We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Top Dogs Podcast here on the Field of 68 Media Network. My name is Rob Doster, and if we're being honest, I probably should be in a bad mood today. This should probably be a depressing podcast. This should probably be an episode where uh, I'm singing the blues, where I'm disappointed about the fact that UConn has lost six out of eight, where they just lost at home to Xavier by three where they just lost a heartbreaker at Seton Hall. We haven't talked about that on the show yet. I know it was more than a week ago, but we haven't talked about it on here yet. In theory, this should be something where I'm doom and gloom and negative and, and kind of down to the dumps, and I'm not. I'm not. This is actually coming off of last night's 82-79 to 79 loss to Xavier, the best that I've felt about where UConn is and where they are going to be heading uh, probably since this 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 losing spell started probably since UConn went to Xavier and they were really exposed for uh, what they can be and how you can play against them. So let's start with this. The secret is out on UConn, right? There is a way that you can exploit things for them defensively and a way that you can exploit things for them offensively. And there it's, it's pretty simple, really. The first is on the defensive end of the floor. If you have a foreman that can attack Alex Caravan, then you got to find a way to take advantage of it. Every team that they've played has done this. Uh, there have been 
varying levels of success to how they've been able to do this um, and how they've been able to uh, win that matchup. But for the most part, that's kind of what you do, right? You go at Alex Carabin, then you see if you can go at Tristan Newton at the one, then you kind of go from there, right? Then on the offensive end of the floor, the way that you slow down what UConn does is to just not guard Andre Jackson. They want to use him as a point guard. They want to have him be an initiator. They want to have him uh, be the guy that kind of makes things tick for him offensively. Well, you know what defenses do? They just don't guard him because they don't think that he is a threat on the perimeter. And they're right. Andre Jackson missed what? The first seven shots of the game yesterday. He has to be aggressive offensively. He has to try to take advantage of that. He's not good enough to do it. It gets him in a situation where he's not confident and he's not playing like Andre Jackson and uh, it works. It's a way to take him out of his game. It's been a problem for a month. It's been something that I know the staff has been trying to figure out. It's been something that uh, we as UConn fans have been frustrated that has not been figured out. And I think after watching this team last night, after watching the second half last night, uh, it's something that I think they might have found an answer to. So uh, before we get into what exactly happened, I just I, I kind of want to paint the picture for what a college basketball season and the, the path that a college basketball team usually takes, how that works, right? You do what you do to start. You come up with a way that you think you can win with your team. You try to find a way to be the best that you can be based on the pieces that you have and what you've seen from your group in practice, right? You start playing this way. You have a little bit of success. You start winning some games. You beat a team like Alabama. You beat a team like Iowa State. You go out and you have some really impressive victories. And let's be frank, you play like a top five team in college basketball. I know people want to say, UConn was overrated. They weren't good enough. Well, you start 14-0. You're the second to last undefeated team in college basketball. You beat Alabama, who might fuck around and win a national title this year. You beat Iowa State, who might fuck around and win the Big 12 this year. Like, you're good. You're legit. There's no overrated about it. They were number one on Kempom. They were number one on Torvik. There is no such thing as overrated. If you want to go by the metrics, they were throughout the entire season and currently still are underrated. UConn is number six on Kempom. It is what it is. Um, I just want to get that out there. Then what happens is teams kind of figure out what you do. Teams get some tape on you. Teams in your conference already kind of know what you want to be able to run and how you want to play. And instead of being surprised, uh, instead of having to, to build a scout, build a uh, game plan from scratch, they kind of already know how to go about attacking you in certain situations, especially when you bring it back a lot of key pieces. That's what happened in the Big East. They were found out. So you got to make an adjustment. You got to figure out an answer. You got to find a way to make it all work together. And UConn, for the last three to four weeks, has struggled doing that in big moments. I don't think that this has ever been a talent issue. I've said this over and over and over again. Three of the uh, three of the six losses now that they've taken, well, three of the five losses before Xavier, they had double-digit leads, right? Three of the five losses were on the road against teams that are going to have a chance to go out and win the Big East tournament, that are going to have a chance to win the Big East regular season title, that are going to make a run in March and have the pieces to be able to make a run in March. Um, I wasn't super worried about that. Then the St. John's loss happened, and that was one where they kind of melted down down the stretch. Then the Seton Hall loss happened, and that was one where they 100% melted down down the stretch. Then they play Xavier, and they get their ass kicked in the first half. Like, it was as bad as it's been in a long time uh, for UConn in that first half. 
A lot of that has to do with Sean Miller. A lot of that has to do with the game plan. A lot of that has to do with the fact that Xavier is just an absolutely horrific matchup for UConn. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that this is a team that looks like they have just been beaten down by the circumstances of their season. And frankly, I don't blame them, man. It's been rough. It's rough out here for UConn fans. Imagine being the guys in the middle of it, right? Imagine being the guys where this is what you do. This is the the way that you're going to make a living. This is your livelihood. Um, this is what you care about more than anything else. I promise you those players care more than we do. I promise you that this losing streak is hurting them more than it is hurting us as much as as uh, as much as as difficult as this has been um, for us to deal with. That said, I think that UConn has found a way to make this thing work and get this thing going. And, and, and that matters. It matters because there's still things that they can win, even if it's not the biggest regular season title. But the key here, the most important thing that UConn has to find a way to do, the most important thing that, that staff needed to figure out was a way to get Andre Jackson to be able to, st- one, stay on the court, and two, play like Andre fucking Jackson, to play like the guy that is the single best defender in all of college basketball. I truly believe that. I truly believe that he is that good. When he is locked in, when he is engaged, when he is energetic, when he's playing confident, he is the guy that can fuck shit up more than anybody else in college basketball can fuck shit up. That's what he does. That's how he plays. That's the way that he is going to end up making his money in the NBA. He's got a certain skill set that you just cannot teach. There's, there's things that he can do defensively that you cannot teach. He has an ability to change a game on that on end of the floor that very few players in college basketball have. And it is so important to what UConn does to have that guy playing to the best of his ability on the defensive end. And when teams don't guard him, when they're daring him to shoot, when they're just obliterating his confidence by saying, hey, yeah, you know what? Go ahead. That's the shot that we want. Right. You're shooting an open three. That's the shot that we want. You could take that. We're going to live and die with you shooting threes that can get into anybody's head. And once it gets to gets into his head, then he's not as impactful on the defensive end of the floor. Then he's thinking about, OK, well, should I be out here if I cannot be a player that I need to be on the offensive end? Uh, the coaching staff is saying, OK, do we need him out here? If he is a liability, if he's messing up everything that we do offensively, we can't have him on the floor, which messes up what they want to be able to do defensively. And if this is a team. That whose identity is going to be defense, transition, forcing turnovers, getting defensive rebounds. You got to have Andre out there because he is so much, he's a core of what your identity is as a team. So you got to find a way to get him out there on the floor. You can't have him be the initiator. You can't have him being a guy playing on the weak side. You can't have him being someone that defenses can slough off of. So what do you do? You make him be the screener, right? You make him be the guy that gets involved in everything by just getting in the way. You make him be a guy where if you slough off of him and you don't help, then you hurt your defense. And they did a couple different things last night. And, and Laval Jordan, uh, former B- uh, Butler head coach, was a guy that made this point. I believe it was on halftime of the broadcast that they switched where they play Andre Jackson. They moved him to the four spot. And um, there's a lot of moving parts, and it's, it's really not all that different for UConn, uh, the, where, what their threes do and what their fours do. There's a lot of sets where those guys do similar things, but the, there's two very important things that they, they did in the second half and late in the first half that kind of turned that game around, and there's reasons why I'm bullish on it. One, in the dribble handoffs, instead of being a guy that was playing off of the ball, Andre Jackson was the guy that was handing the ball off to uh, whether it was Jordan Hawkins or Tristan Newton, right? What that does is it forces a defense to have to guard him. When you hard hedge, when you play drop, it engages his defender so you can't just have that guy sloughing off into the middle of the paint. Um, 
that helps open up lanes for Jordan Hawkins to curl around and get to the basket. Uh, that help opens up lanes. There were a couple times where Andre was able to dive to the rim because his defender went with the uh, the point guard and, and he got a layup out of it. He had another one where he should have finished the layup, right? Um, there was uh, There were a couple opportunities where the fact that he just set the screen was able to create an opening for Jordan Hawkins because the guy that was guarding him was off of him and playing way off of him, and that's what got Jordan a couple of open looks from three. Um, so that mattered. The other part of it is with a lot of the staggers that they run, they used Andre Jackson as the first screener in those those double screens. And and the, a lot of times they'll have him as the guy that makes the pass from the top. A lot of times they'll have him as a guy that's buried in the deep corner. By putting him in the screen, again, it forces the, the defender, the guy that's guarding him to be engaged in the play. So you can't just help off. Now, where that helps is... Uh, there were a couple examples um, where if Jordan Hawkins comes off that staggered screen and he's able to curl off of it, he's able to get down the lane and get to the basket, and he doesn't run into the help defender. If you got Caribbean in that corner, you can't help off of him because that's a wide-open three. Kick it out to him, wide-open three. So you, the defender's hugging him there. Uh, Hawkins curls. That's where. Uh, that's how they got Fremantle his fifth foul. Jordan Hawkins got to the rim, was able to lay it in. Remember the finger roll that he missed, and it got Fremantle's fifth foul. Um, Tristan Newton was able to get to the rim a couple times doing that, right? Uh, if you have him, in, if you're engaging his defender in the action, it just changes what they're able to do. You're not no longer sagging off. There's a couple examples in the first half where you can see Hawkins come off a screen, defender is trailing. He normally would have the curl to the rim, but boom, standing right there at the Big East logo is Andre Jackson's defender. You don't want to kick it out to him because he's not a guy that's shooting. They're leaving him there, which means that instead of having a, a curl to the rim, try to get a layup, try to get a foul, you have Jordan Hawkins taking a step back three that's contested by the guy that's trailing him over the screen. So that was that was a very important tweak that the staff made, and that's part of the reason why they were able to make their run. Um, the defensive stuff also helped. Uh, I think I, I don't think that you want to be a team that's just going to play zone. I don't think that you kind of wants to be a team that's just going to play that one three one. To me, th those just kind of defenses that you can throw at people, and it kind of changes what the game is going to be. Um, it changes uh, what defenses are seeing, and I think it works particularly well against Xavier because they don't really have that guy that you can plug in the middle of the defense. Um, and be able to just kind of say, okay, go create. They don't really have like a true point guard. Suley Boom's awesome. Um, Colby Jones is awesome. That They're a great backcourt, but neither of them are like dynamic creators that just want to get into the lane and pass and create for somebody, right? So, um, but the most important point to make here is that we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Whatever defense you're playing, especially that one three one, especially that one two one one uh, kind of zone press that they threw um, threw on in the second half, so much of that is successful because Andre Jackson is so athletic and so active at the top of it. He's athletic and active at the top of it because he's playing with confidence. Um, they're able to get into that pressure because they are scoring. The ball is going through the basket, and they can put that press on. Right, so it's so much of a team that plays this way. It's all connected, right? I said this all the time about pressing teams. Part of the reason why it's so difficult for a pressing team um, to be able to uh, to be able to make runs and get it going against teams that have really good guards is that you need to be able to force defense uh, offenses to make mistakes to be able to score. Right? You need the ball to go through the basket so you can throw that press on. That's how it kind of snowballs. That's how it builds. It's how you get it moving downhill, um, and that's what happened with UConn. Now they were still some mistakes in the second half and there were still some issues that they had, you know, there were a couple of missed layups, Andre Jackson threw the lob to Sonogo that I wish, you know, maybe was a little bit more on target. Um, There were a couple of missed opportunities. They missed some free throws, but like, you're not going to be perfect. You can't expect these guys to be perfect. And you can't sit here and say like, Oh, you know, they messed up. They didn't come back from 17 points down the second half to win uh, all this for naught. The bottom line is this. I think that, even if they had won this game, you probably could have already kissed the Big East regular season title goodbye. Um, you beat St. John's, you beat Seton Hall, you win those two games, then it's a different conversation. But um, at five and five coming into this game, like you're probably going to, best case scenario, you're looking at what, like a 13 and seven finish in the Big East. And that's not going to win the Big East regular season title this year. So that was probably already gone. The most important thing is finding a way for this team to be at their absolute utter best in March. You can still win the Big East Tournament. This team still has the talent to do that. You can still make a run in March. This team still has the talent to do that. And I think what we saw on Wednesday night was this team finding something that can make a difference for them, finding a way that they can be able to compete and win and play at the level that we saw them at earlier this season um, and continue to, to, to stay stay up there Uh, it's just i'm very interested to see where it goes from here i'm excited by the fact that they get DePaul and georgetown next so they can kind of work out some of these kinks um you got to get these two wins here you got to get back to over 500 in the conference you got to keep that 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 momentum going in the right direction they have six days before their next game which means you can kind of implement more stuff and throw a couple more sets in there but the single most important thing coming out of Uh, Wednesday night's game is that UConn has found a way to be able to keep Andre Jackson on the floor and engaged to be able to keep him confident and to be able to keep him playing at the level you need him to play defensively without having to be a liability on the offensive end of the floor. And, um, you know, some of it might just be kind of you, you, you stumbled into it. You lucked into it. You, you found your way uh, accidentally into um, a style that works, a tweak that works. 
But that's the way that it works sometimes. Like the perfect example here is Kentucky, right? Uh, I don't know how much UConn fans paid attention to Kentucky this year, but uh, I've paid a lot of attention to them. I do run a national college basketball podcast. And what, what was happening with Kentucky this year is that at the start of the season, they had a guy that was all-conference last year at the point in Severe Wheeler, preseason all-conference this year at the point in Severe Wheeler, that it's just not a good fit when you have Oscar Sheebway on the floor with him. You have two guys that can't really shoot. It clogs up the paint. It doesn't necessarily work. Severe does a lot of things really well, and those things that he does really well don't really fit with a guy like Oscar Sheebway at the five when you have when Sheebway's your best player. So Kentucky fans have been clamoring for a lineup that featured Cason Wallace, C.J. Frederick, Antonio Reeves, Jacob Toppin at the one through four with Chris Livingston kind of mixed in there as well, right? Using Severe Wheeler as an energy guy, um, uh, as a speed guy off the bench, you know, the uh, a third down back to a guy that plays on first and second down, if that makes sense, to make a football comparison there. And Cal wasn't doing it. Cal wasn't changing his lineup. He was doing different things. He was trying to find ways to keep Severe Wheeler on the floor. Um, and it wasn't until Severe Wheeler got hurt before the game at Tennessee when he, Cal was forced to play a lineup that didn't have any Damian Collins at the four, that didn't have any severe wheeler at the one because they were hurt, and it worked. And it forced him to use a lineup that, frankly, has been the best lineup in all of college basketball. That's not an exaggeration. There's a website called EvanMaya.com, my guy Evan Miyakawa, and he tracks uh, efficiency margins when it comes to specific lineups. And the lineup of Kaysen Wallace at the one, C.J. Frederick at the two, Antonio Reeves at the three, Jacob Toppin at the four, and Oscar Sheewe at the five has been this season, albeit in some uh, in a small sample size of possessions, the single best lineup in all of college basketball. And it took John Calipari, a Hall of Fame head coach, it took in two injuries for him to go to that lineup. Now he's stuck with that lineup over the course of the last three games, and now Kentucky's on a four-game winning streak. So even some of the best coaches in college basketball, like you sometimes just got to stumble into it. You sometimes just got to throw shit at the wall, find what works when it works, keep sticking with it. And the only thing that we can hope is that Hurley and that coaching staff has seen what works. They've seen that using Andre Jackson as the screener is something that can keep him on the floor, keep his defender engaged and keep developing and, uh, and <laughs> keep this program going in the right direction. Cause like, the pieces are there. You know, I've said this over and over on this podcast. The pieces are there. The talent is there. A lot of this was matchup stuff. A lot of this was game planning stuff. And a lot of this was stuff in UConn's players' heads, right? I, I think the way that they've kind of melted down the stretch of different games uh, is, is definitive proof of that. And I just hope, and I think and I, it's not just hope. Like, I feel very confident in the fact that they found – an answer they found a tweak they found a response they found the adjustment that they need to make and now the staff is going to lead it lean into it because they are too smart those those guys are too damn smart to uh to see what to see what i saw in that film to see what they saw in that film to see what laval jordan saw in that film to see what everybody saw in that film and to not find a way to lean into it so i right now feel as good as i felt about uconn basketball in a month i know they just lost i know they've lost six out of eight i know the big east tournament is is dead and gone I think that this is the the turning point. I think this is the jumping off point. Um, and I don't think I'm just being a bandwagon fan that's blinded by uh, by blue tinted glasses. 
I think that this is where the season kind of turns, and I'll be thrilled and fascinated to see what happens with this group moving forward. But listen, uh, that's enough here. I tried to get Jeff Borzello on this podcast, and I wasn't able, believe it or not, Jeff Borzello has a PR team, and I wasn't able to get him to have his PR team sign off on being able to jump on here. So hopefully we can get him on next week to talk about the story that he wrote about Dan Hurley. Um, I haven't seen Hurley open up like that uh, in a long time. I want to talk about that with Jeff. I want to get a feel for what he thinks about that team and that program. Um, so we will try to get him on here. I don't want to go too far into it without actually having him on. So hopefully next week uh, we'll be able to get him. Hopefully his team will say, yeah, you know what? You can go on this podcast with Robin, promote the story that you just wrote about UConn basketball. So um, yeah, I think that's all I have to say about it. I was actually on after dark last night, after the, uh, after the Xavier UConn game um, with Chris Mack, unfortunately, who's a, former Xavier coach and uh, with Randolph Childress. And we were able to spend some time talking about UConn and they kind of tended to agree with me a little bit in that UConn might've figured something out. So I'm going to drop that segment. I'm going to drop that audio in here uh, right now at the end of this episode, but this has been a 20 minute stream of consciousness for me. Um, I, I don't know what else to say beyond the fact that I actually feel good about where UConn is in this very moment. And you can only hope that it's going to go up. I feel like it's going to go up. We got six days to figure this thing out. Then you got DePaul. Then you got Georgetown. That essentially gives you two weeks to find a way to maximize Andre Jackson as a screener. And hey, you know what? If it works, baby, back on that bandwagon. Don't sell those biggies tournament tickets yet. UConn, baby, let's go. We don't have to spend too long on this, Chris, but uh, am I wrong to feel better about this team moving forward after that second half? despite the fact that they lost than I did heading into this game? Man, I think so. I, they lost to a really good team. You know, I, I, and I think UConn's struggled a little bit with confidence, it seems, the last two, three weeks. And, um, you know, Jordan Hawkins, Fanna and I have talked about it on a couple of the shows. You know, John's so hard on his edge, potential, potential, potential. Like, if he can be half of what he was in the second half <laughs> moving forward – I mean, he was coming off screens, Reggie Miller style. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he he, he can really shoot. And he, if he keeps that type of confidence, um, there's no telling what he can do. I really like their zone. You know, with their two big, big, big guys, man, it's really hard to get extended in ball screens. You know, when you're playing a team that might have, you know, bigs that can handle the ball and shoot the ball and you're out on the floor and you, you have that size, it's a way to keep those guys inside and closer to the basket when you when you play zone. And I thought – they didn't just sit back in the zone. They were really active, and they, they rattled Xavier a little bit. They still turned them over 15 times. I just thought they buried themselves in such a hole in the first half that they spent a lot of energy to get back into it, just couldn't quite finish it off. Mm -hmm. For the people that are joining us now that just watched, uh, just listened to Alabama knock off Mississippi State, this is the Field of 68 After Dark. My name is Rob Doster. I have with me Chris Mack and Randolph Childress. And Randolph, I'm going to you on this. Um, it feels like UConn kind of figured something out down the stretch. Part of it is using that that one three one and using that two three zone and taking a little bit advantage of the length of defensively. The other part of it is kind of inverting what they do offensively, using Caravan more on the perimeter and letting Andre Jackson, a guy that that Big East defenses have kind of figured out, don't guard him, putting him in and around the paint and and uh, it pulls an extra defender out of the lane and it felt like that kind of opened some stuff up. Is that is that something that's replicable moving forward or is that just kind of a matchup specific thing against this Xavier team that kind of worked. 
Uh, you know, as Chris said, it's hard to do that when you got multiple handles on another team. It, it works. You can work that kind. You can hedge hard and do those things when you got a primary guy that's kind of a guy you want to take the ball out of his hands and make it hard for him. Xavier is just a tough matchup for anybody with that. But with Jackson inability to consistently knock down perimeter shots, you got to do something different like that. They're not going to guard you. So if you're going to sit, let, let, allow me to sit back off, it's going to struggle and we're going to take away attempts from Sonogo. So just great coaching. I mean, it, you know, it's just something adjustment that he made probably, you know, I know in hindsight, he's probably kicking himself. Uh, I thought two things that he's probably going to look at tonight and be like, man, I wish I had reacted to. And Chris, I get your point on that. One is making that decision. They did putting Jax at the four. The other one was they had a ton of time at that last possession to take an easy two. And then they kind of just took it. They, they delayed the game, delayed the game, delayed the game until they had to take the three. He called and a timeout right before. Jordan. Yeah. And literally and Hawkins two. makes the shot. Right. And, and I think it was and he, a two though. I think yeah, it was yeah, a no, two. No, no, he, he, no, no, he made it. He was, he took right. the two, but when he took that two, it was, it was 15, 20, it was enough time where you were going to have to foul. You know, and that's just a coach's decision. This is one of those things, you know, you sit around and you talk in those huddles and it's like, all right, quick two, go for three. And, you know, and I always been the thing of you go for, you know, two on that because you string the game out. Keep, yeah, keep you, yeah give you enough chance because they may miss a free throw now when you only need the two and they everything not, changes. They, they, they may turn the ball over. They may turn it over. Bounds. Right. They may mm -hmm. foul whatever you got to do. So there's a lot more options there. And I thought that last 25 seconds or so of that game is going to be something that, Hurley's going to be, you know, kicking himself about, you know, about tonight. You know, I've seen games where Andre Jackson's knocked threes down. You know, right. I, I think that, like, it, it can weigh on your mind, man. They, they played that that mental game of playing way off of them. It would have been, been interesting to see had he made the first two. I think Sean obviously really would have adjusted, and then the game may have been completely different. But there's ways to get him involved if he's still on the perimeter. You know, they can get him downhill. They can get some isolation stuff where they clear out a side and get him to the rim, maybe get his confidence early on. But he's too good of an athlete, too good of a player. And then there were a couple times where they fed the low post, Rob, and they dove him. And I, I thought that was very effective. I mean, he's he gets his feet planted under, under him anywhere near the basket, man. You're going to get punched on. He's just mm -hmm. uh, that good of an athlete. He's one of the best ones in the country. So – he may not be a great shooter, but, you know, not putting him in that position all the time doesn't necessarily have to be just a low post. Well, what I'm going to keep telling myself is that you want to go through your slump in January, right? You want to figure it out in February and you want to get hot in March. So all you can do is doing it's just a slump still. It might be a three week, four week, month long, five week, <laughs> two month hey, long. When they, when they won the national championship with Kevin Ollie, you remember their record? Yeah. They were a nine seed when they won it with Kemba. They're there a nine go. seed in the Big East tournament. There you they go. played on the first day of the Big East tournament when they won it with Kemba. So you just got to get hot at the right time. That's what we do at UConn. We we lull you to sleep, and then we come. <laughs> ain't back no, ain't no Kemba walk in that backcourt though. Ain't no Kemba walk in that backcourt. <laughs> Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.